The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. Thanks for joining us this morning with my co-host, Lauren Deller-Blake, on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. And uh, our guest this morning, we have several guests on the show today for the next hour, but our first guest is Amy Dickinson. She is author of The Mighty Queens of Freeville, which is a memoir. Amy is a syndicated advice columnist and NPR contributor. Actually, she took over for Ann Landers, I guess, about five years ago. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Amy. Hi, thank you. Great to have you. What a, you've got a great book, uh, The Mighty Queens of Freeville. First, I have to ask you, who are the Mighty Queens of Freeville? Well, Freeville is my little hometown in upstate New York. Um, it's a little rural farming community. I grew up on a dairy farm there, uh, population 458. And the Mighty Queens are the women in my life. My mother is one of four sisters, and I am one of three. And we all live in this tiny little <laughs> village. And so I grew up surrounded by these um, by these women, all of them mothering me to varying degrees. But you also, now your daughter Emily, you described the, this is a memoir, um, or the, your book is described as a, uh, a memoir, Amy, um, and your daughter Emily is, is, it's about you, all the women in your life, and you obviously come from this woman-centered family. I come from a man's, I, there are only men in my family, I'm the only woman in my family, so it was fascinating for me to read your book, because it's a very different relationship, but oh, uh, the relationship between your daughter and how you raised your daughter, and it's all about, you know, the, the 20 years of raising her until she went to college, um, is, talk to us about that, and talk to us about, you know, why you decided to write your memoir. Well, um, it, it, is, it does cover, my book covers the 20 years I spent as a single mom raising my daughter with the help of, uh, of these very sassy, opinionated women in my life. And um, because fortunately for me, even though I, I was single, I was not alone. I was seldom alone. And uh, these other relationships really provided me with what all of us deserve to have and, and most of us need to have, which is a soft place to fall and a place to go, a place to think of as home. And I always had that. And I think that um, my own success and my daughter's success in life really is due to the that sense of security you have when you have a functioning, happy family. And so, you know, when people hear what I do for a living and they hear that I'm an advice columnist, they always, always challenge me. With a variety of questions, I, I come to think of these questions as the sort of who made you God questions. That was my next question, Amy. You say, because you said, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a social worker, not a psychiatrist, but yet I have 22 million people who write to me uh, all the t- you know over the year and asking me how to live their lives. So what does make you the expert? Well, this book is really the answer to that question because I got here, 
I got here the hard way. You know, I got my uh, my advanced degree was in mistakeology. You know, I have I have a I'm at my desk in Chicago right now, and I have a sign over my desk that says, "I make the mistakes so you don't have to." And my expertise, as it is, um, first of all, I was a journalist and a reporter for many many years, so I do have the skill set where if I don't know the answer to a question, I certainly know how to find it. But my skill set also comes from the way I was raised um, and how I learned my own lessons, which was through living. You know, I I I got here, I took the back roads. <laughs> my own story is very twisty and, turv- and curvy, and it's like a lot of people's. It's not a straight line. And so the answer to the question of how I know what I know goes back to this place where I'm from and these people who raised me. Yeah, and oh, I mean, you're talking about you, you've, you've lived all of the the um, the roadblocks that we've all experienced. Well, and you, you were divorced. Your husband left you. Talk about that. I mean, and how you handle it. But it's not just that you lived to me. Not just that you lived through these experiences, but the choices you made as a result of living through these life experiences, whether, you know, it's divorce or being a single parent. So, you Well, mean- and, and my experience with divorce, unfortunately, started when I was a child, when my father uh, left our family very, very suddenly. And we were plunged, as a lot of families going through this are, we were plunged straight into poverty. And I watched my mother figure out what to do. And, boy, you know, she got a job. She put food on the table. She kept our household together, and I got to watch her do that. And then, you know, fortunately, you know, I went to a great college. I, My husband and I were one of those, like, uh, media couples. We were very much sort of on the, you know, on the outer edge of doing very well in life. We lived. In- so you were this high-profile couple. We were. Yeah. And we lived in London, and we were living this lovely, yuppie life. And he left very, very suddenly. And I... I you had no idea? I want to go back on that one, because women are going to be listening. And we have a lot of ladies listening to this show. He just left suddenly. There was no clues. No, you had no idea. Well, I will tell you, I um, You know, it's been almost 20 years, so, of course, I've I've had ample time to figure out sort of what happened. But in his case, he traveled about 80% of the time that we were together, he was on the road. And because of that, um, any clues that were there, I was missing. Because I was very, and I had a baby, I was very focused on sort of trying to get through the day. And um, I certainly, there were clues, I absolutely missed them at the time, the biggest issue I think my husband and I had in our relationship was that we didn't know how to acknowledge and talk about problems because we were very focused on being wonderful. And boy, I learned the hard way that you really do have to, um, you have to dig down and go through hard times together. I, I really learned that the hard way. Well, do you think, Amy, that growing up, as you say, in a a family of all women. Do you think that that was that kind of maybe was difficult for you to have a relation? You know, your it impacted negatively on your relationship with your husband because you hadn't had a lot of intimate contact with men. I.e., your father. You said that he left when when you were very young. 
Well, I think one, it impacted my own parents' divorce, you know, completely uh, changed my childhood, and it and it altered the rest of my life. What it what I think did happen was, first of all, having grown up surrounded by women, I was so in my, <laughs> I was so used to being understood, and I was surrounded by people who communicated exactly the same way I do, and who got me, and so I think that I I didn't bring I brought a different set of skills and and different expectations into this marriage, and I think I also frankly was really independent, and I think that was an issue. I didn't really know how to be in an intimate partnership where you, it's okay, you know, to be a little bit dependent on someone. So for your daughter, so for Emily, because I want to kind of take it to the next generation, because as you say, you've had all these experiences and you share this with your 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 listeners and your readers. What about your own daughter? What The lessons that you've learned, how to, you know, how do you, to, share those with her so that she doesn't perhaps make the same kinds of mistakes that you did. Right. Well, fortunately for, for my daughter, her dad and I maintained a very amicable uh, friendship, which is genuine, and she got to see that. And I think that's, boy, if you can do that, you're doing a lot. So Emily got to see both of her parents behaving very well, um, always putting her interests first, which we did, um, I also, you know, exposed her to the vicissitudes of the realities of my life as a, a a working mom. She got to see me put food on the table. She got to see me make choices, um, including some very good choices. And she moved across the country with me when I got this job and did so sort of kicking and screaming, but of course, in the end, she's told me that that was a really important experience for her to have. So, you know, I like to think that my daughter is, um, she's intellectually very healthy, she's emotionally very uh, together and mature, and I give her dad a lot of credit for that, because he he and I worked together um, over the years to make sure that she had a as good a model as he could provide to her. Right. So you you have made it a very different experience for her. You know, we have to we only have about 30 seconds left. I could obviously keep on lots more questions for you and I'm sure my listeners have more questions for you. They can go to your website mightyqueensoffreeville.com. Right. You can purchase the book The Mighty Queens of Free, Freeville at, at amazon.com, bookstores everywhere, A Mother, a Daughter and the Town that Raised Them. Uh, Amy Dickinson Great having you on the show this morning. Thank you. And, you know, I just urge all of us to celebrate the moms and the mighty queens in our life this this weekend. Um, they deserve it. Happy Mother's Day. Same to you. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. Lauren Beller-Blake, Catherine Zox. We've got another guest coming up right after the after the break, so don't go away. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. 
Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. What are you going to do when that big emergency strikes? Do you know how to prepare? Do you know when? What if we provided you a source to learn from and plan as you go? Listen for The Road to Ready with your host, Rick Tobin. Rick will offer a weekly source of reliable information and resources. You'll hear about new ideas and innovation in emergency management. Best of all, you'll have the tools to get ready for any emergency in small bites each week. The Road to Ready is heard every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone here on VoiceAmericaVariety.com with Lauren Beller Blake, my co host. How are you this morning, Lauren? We didn't get a chance to talk because we had our guest on right away. That's true. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes. I'm actually a little sleepy. I didn't sleep well last night. You didn't? No, I oh. hate that. That's, it's, it's, you know, you lay in bed tossing and turning. So is it you can't get to sleep or you go to sleep and then you wake up in the middle of the night? And oh, usually to... something wakes me up, whether it's the dog or Sierra, and then I can't go back to sleep, which is what happened last night. Well, it's only going to get worse because as you get older and your estrogen levels deplete, what happens is that's what helps you to sleep well at night, and, and, and I'm serious about that. As you get into your 40s and beyond, of course, there's a lot more stuff to stress you out, but still, that's what happens, and so you can't get back to sleep like would I would say like before you, you are before 40. <laughs> Thanks for the great news today, no, Catherine. I like to tell the truth. I mean, I like to be honest. It doesn't help... I don't think it helps to make up stories. I think you really have to deal with the truth. It, it, well, it is. I, when, so 43, do you think it's estrogen or do you think it's what something else? Well, it's a combination of things. I mean, we all have stress. There's no question. And, you could, you know, whatever is bothering you um, <laughs> tends to bother. There's a lot on your plate. Let's, I'm assuming that. I know that because I know you and I have the same problem. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't get back to sleep. Uh, but I think it's so that what happens is, and then at the same time, your body with less estrogen and then there's less melatonin, which is what puts you back to sleep in the middle of the night. Right. Um, it, it just, there's less of it. So, you know, either substitute with it, you, you do, you, you know, you have to compensate. 
Oh, so anyway, that's my story this All morning. Right. How, what's your story? <laughs> well, I'm talking about telling the truth. And I watched the Today Show this morning. This was a piece. Lauren, I don't know if you saw it. I don't think I only saw the beginning of the Today Show, not much else. Bristol Palin. Oh, I heard it going on, and I actually said, I don't need to watch this this morning. So fill me in, Catherine. You didn't need to watch it. Bristol Palin holding her baby trip and her father sitting beside her. She is going to be the spokesperson for teenagers to be careful so that they don't have babies when they, um, you know, babies out of wedlock. She's the spokesperson. Uh, she really had very little to say, except that, it, I mean, it was just, it was embarrassing. It was kind of like a George Bush moment with both of them. So it was, uh, you didn't, oh my. but, you know, you're just talking about anxiety and not being able to get back to sleep. Well, we have the expert right now. She is ready to go. Gerilyn Ross, one of the late nation's leading experts on anxiety disorder. She's an active psychotherapist, a patient advocate, and author, director of the Ross Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders in Washington, D.C., and president and CEO of the Anxiety Disorders Association of America. And also, her new book is One Less Thing to Worry About, Uncommon Wisdom for Coping with Common Anxieties. She's perfect for our show. Welcome to the show, Geraldine. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. We need you. <laughs> Thank you. We- we were just talking about, and I know you cover this in your book as well, one less thing to worry about. I mean, Lauren was just telling me, she's my co-host, that she couldn't sleep last night, woke up in the middle of the night, can't get back to sleep, happens to me every single night. Uh, now, I'm postmenopausal, so I know there are reasons for that. But um, So let's talk about anxiety. I know there's anxiety that's really bad, anxiety, you know, stuff that's, that's really dysfunctional, and then there's normal anxiety, which motivates you to do things. So uh, where do we start? Well, let me, um, can I, I can differentiate between the two, yes, but I want to address the sleep issue because that's a big anxiety component. And and one of the questions I'd have for for both of you and for anybody who has difficulty sleeping is what goes on in the bedroom besides sleep and intimacy? Are there TVs on before you go to bed, the radio? Are you reading the news, watching the news, playing on your computer, on the phone, answering emails? Any of those things happening right before you go to bed? For me, there is. I, ha- I have the television on, and I know you're going to tell me this is, like, not the thing to do. And you watch I, the news before you go to bed, right? I watch the news. I watch a lot of it, and then I fall asleep to the television, and now I feel like I can't get to sleep unless I have the television on all night. Well, you know, think about it. You know, before we go to sleep, the last thing many of us do is listen to bad things, whether we're watching a movie that's making us very emotional, emotionally charged, whether it's listening to the news, whether it's hearing all the negative stuff in the world. Um, that's, people, people think of the TV as helping them fall asleep. It may help you initially fall asleep, but if, if you think of the last thing that's put into your brain is negative news and emotions that are coming from the TV because the media wants us to feel emotion. I mean, that's what the media does. So the first thing I would suggest is let's talk about some other ways that you can fall asleep without the TV on. I'm ready. What about, okay. Do you go do it? I just want to ask Lauren, too. Is Great question. That... I fall asleep with the TV on only when my husband's home, which is 50% of the time. So most nights, 50% of the time, I do not have the TV on, and the other 50% we do have the TV on. Have you noticed any correlation between TV being on and off and sleeping? Um, I am. I, literally, I could... Someone could snap their fingers and I can be asleep within three seconds. So I'm a really good, I'm very good at falling asleep, no matter whether the TV's on or not. But okay. something, 
something always wakes me up at some point in the night, whether it's, the, you know, the wind or the dog or the three-year-old or something. Uh, having a three-year-old and a dog, now that, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> because well, a couple of things that I, that I think of. One is, I, and the basic rule is, is the bedrooms are sleeping in intimacy, period. Um, you know, obviously if the TV doesn't bother you and it has no effect, that, that's okay. But in general, that's the rule. And what I suggest to people, particularly those who wake up um, in the middle of the night, is keeping a notepad by your bed. Because one of the things that happens is we wake up, we're in this sort of, you know, relaxed, you know, sort of semi-sleep state. Our mind is just racing with all the, you know, should-dos, what-ifs, uh, why didn't I, I better do. And, and if we have a place where we can just simply jot them down, that's a great thing to do. The other thing is I suggest for people who watch TV before they go to bed or watch the news or is um, instead, if you can, try to read. And I don't mean read the hot bestseller that's going to you know keep you up all night. Sometimes when my husband can't fall asleep, he, he puts those, um, um, the, you know, on, uh, on, in his ear, the earphones with a book. Yeah. And, and he's up all night. And I'll say, well, why don't you read a boring book? He goes, well, then I won't fall asleep. <laughs> So, you know, having something, I mean, generally having something uh, like, you know, maybe some warm, you know, some milk, some banana, some a little turkey, something with a little tryptophan to help you relax before you go to bed. Clear the bedroom, clear your head, clear your thoughts. Get a nice book that will let you read two or three pages and, and fall asleep. So you're All, saying, Geraldine, get the TV, uh, or, turn the TV off. Get the computer out of your room if you have it in your room. Keep it in your office or wherever else in another bedroom where you don't sleep. You don't want to be stimulated, I guess. I, yeah, and, I, and there are things that, you know, we think about sleep hygiene, sort of all, all stress hygiene. We talk about feeling, getting, getting our stress under control. Things that keep us, our stress most under control is when we get enough sleep, we eat properly through the day, we exercise, we, um, you know, we interact with other people, we communicate. Things that normally keep us, um, keep our stress at bay, those are often the first things that go when people begin to get anxious. I, I have a chapter in my book which, um, where one of the patients who I interviewed was, was just having a terrible time with everything. Anxiety was running her life. And she, and I asked her, what do, you, what do you do, you know, when you're feeling okay, what kind of things relax you? And she said, well, the thing I always loved doing the most was yoga. And I said, well, why not do yoga now? And she looked at me and she said, are you crazy? I'm way too stressed to do yoga. <laughs> so I think we want to look at the, the, the very precious things like sleep. You should have a sleep window. Go to sleep as much as you can around the same time. Get into bed. Try to wake up the same time. Many of us, you know, during the week we get up real early. In the weekends we sleep late. It's like putting ourselves in perpetual jet lag. Um, you think, Gerald, I have to ask you this, Gerald, because I am not an anxious person. For During the day when I'm up and about and if I feel anxious about something, I seem to take control and, and do what I need to do to relieve the anxiety if it's possible. But that middle of the night thing, waking up in the middle of the night for one or two hours, and I have so many friends who do who that happens to, women, um, I feel kind of out of control. I get really anxious. And, and are you saying that if you, like, write down those things that you're anxious about, that will help to kind of quell the anxiety so that, you can wait until the morning to fix what you need to fix? or what Well, you sometimes what I mean by quality anxiety is that it, it kind of, when you have it in your head and you're sort of laying in that half-sleep, half-awake state, it just, it doesn't, it kind of just floats in and out and gets you anxious and then you respond to the anxiety. The anxiety wakes you up. You think more. Sometimes writing it down, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many women um, I, I talk to say they wake up in the middle of the night thinking, what am I going to wear to work tomorrow? I mean, as silly as it sounds, at night when you're just laying there and you're, 
sort of vulnerable. It could be, oh, my God, I have a meeting, then I have to go out to dinner, what do I do? Instead, just write down, um, you know, on a piece of paper, what, what do I wear tomorrow? I don't need to decide right now. Or something, you know, something just so that you put that thought concrete. Wake yourself up enough to make it concrete on a piece of paper, but not try to solve it. Yeah, see, I, but I'm not worrying about what I'm going to wear. I'm worrying about the big stuff. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, whatever I, it is. Like, like what? Give me an example. Well, I worry about, and, and you talk about this in the book, women tend to worry about, uh, worry more globally, as you put it. Right. I mean, and I, and I definitely fit into that category. You know, I'm, I have three boys. They're in their 20s, so they're not at home. If, that, you know, they tell me they have a health problem, I'm, I get concerned about that. That will wake me up in the night or health my own health problems if I have any or or financial or things that I view as important, not what I'm going to wear or, you know, do I have, right. have to go to the grocery store, that kind of stuff, but right. the big stuff. And I think that's, uh, as you say, that's that's very characteristic of, of women. They tend to do that. Yeah, and most of us do this. When I say what are you going to wear, I'm, I'm using Nellie as an example of how it can even be something very trivial. Um, but let, let's look at the things that you're, you're talking about, which are, you know, what mo- most of us worry about when we worry you know, health, finances, our, our family, our kids. Um, one of the things you, you, you want to do is you, you need to, you, well, first of all, during the night I tell people if you're up for more than a half hour laying in bed, get up and, and just walk around just so you, you break that sort of laying there trying to fall asleep. Even if it means going into the other room for 20 minutes or so, reading or writing or doing something, even if you want to put the TV on, just not in the bedroom. Um, but also, when you feel like to challenge the thinking, to say, like, is this a productive thought? You know, it's three in the morning, and I'm wondering something about, you know, whether it's my child or my health. Is there anything I can do right now that's going to make this problem go away any better, any different? And if the answer is yes, which 99% is no, because it's just worry, it's what-if kind of worry, then you want to be able to say to yourself, Okay, just allow those feelings to be there. I'm feeling anxious. Acknowledge it. This is anxiety, but and I'll deal with it tomorrow. And that's why you might put that on a list. Taking a short break, we're going to come back with uh, Geraldine Ross, author of One Less Thing to Worry About, Uncommon Wisdom for Coping with Common Anxieties. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. 
Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, for Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com with my co host Lauren Beller Blake and with Geraldine Ross, one of the nation's leading experts on anxiety disorders and author of One Less Thing to Worry About Uncommon Wisdom for Coping with Common Anxieties. Uh, before we took the break, we got right into it, Gerald and Lauren and I. We just brought up our own anxieties and uh, kind of used you as our therapist, which is great. We were <laughs> talking pleasure. about the fact that we have difficulty sleeping, and that has to do with anxiety. And uh, you gave us some very specific specific things to do to kind of, not to kind of, but to quell the anxiety. Let's get a little bit more global and uh, get back to maybe the first question that I asked you when we opened up the show. Um, what is the difference between between anxiety that is overwhelming, that is dysfunctional, that isn't good for you, and, and, and anxiety that is productive. I mean, we all are anxious, and that can be a good thing, and it can even be a, a motivating factor. Right, and anxiety in and of itself is normal. It's healthy. We couldn't survive as a species without it. It helps us get out of harm's way. It warns us when there's danger. It revs our body up to respond when there's a stressor in our life. It gets the heart pumping, the adrenaline going. So anxiety is important and useful. But And for some people, though, the anxiety is overwhelming. It's pervasive. It interferes in their life. And they have an awareness that it doesn't make sense. So, for example... In, in what you were talking about earlier, if you're talking about as a as a you know mother with healthy kids and you know not much you know not too many major problems or the normal you know just the normal problems, and yet you're awake every night thinking my kids are going to be sick, uh, we're not going to have any money, I'm going to you know I, I'm going to have all these problems, I'm going to have health problems when you when you medically don't, um, when you begin having all of these kinds of um, thoughts and you feel you're aware they're irrational, but you can't seem to stop them. You can't control them. And they're leading you to do things in your life um, like avoid things or hide from things or not be able to sleep or, or be antsy and edgy at work or at home. When it's interfering in your life and you're aware that it's irrational to feel you can't control it, then you may have um, an anxiety disorder, which isn't normal. It's common. It affects 40 million Americans, um, but, you know, it includes phobias and panic disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, social anxiety disorder, and what I leave out, generalized anxiety disorder. 
So those uh, are serious kinds of anxiety disorders, and, and most of us don't suffer from that. Uh, most of us fall into the other category. Right, and the reason I wrote One Less Thing to Worry About is because, you know, for 30 years as a clinician, I've been working with people with severe anxiety, with anxiety disorders, and, and I've, I've noticed over the years that many of the same things that I teach my patients how to deal with their pathological, their, the anxiety that interferes in their life, are also applicable to just the day-in and day-out anxiety we all feel. You know, learning how to watch our breathing, learning how to um, control the information we get, what we do about it. There are so well, many stop things. Stop with that, that one because I think that's a number. I mean, you bring that one up, Geraldine. I think that is so critical. What do we do about all this information that we're getting? And you talk about controlling the information because I'll say, I don't know about you, Lauren, but that really impacts on me. I'm on my computer television 24-7. Talk about the swine flu. I mean, 24-7, I was listening to, you know, it could scare anybody uh, about, you know, this pandemic. Uh, and, and it's everywhere. So with all this information coming in, uh, most of it's not particularly or necessarily accurate, and it does try to, you know, they're trying to sell the, the information, sure. so they make it, like, very, um, very dramatic. How do we, what do we do? How do we get not become anxious. When well, it's amazing that we have a lot more choices than we think. I mean, the way the world is now between the television and our PDAs and our computers, you know, if we cough, we start looking up cough on the, on the Internet. And we really have to treat it, I mean, for many people, it's almost like an addiction. We have to limit our time, and we have to say, is this, is my behavior productive? You know, am I going to learn something I need to learn by going on the Internet, or am I just going to make myself anxious and upset? With the swine flu thing, I mean, it's a perfect example of just getting inundated. I mean, I get, you know, I get, you know, these, these flashes on my, on my Blackberry, you know, um, you know, crisis alerts about swine flu. Um, and when we really think, of, if we stop and we think about it, what have we really learned? There's a flu going around. Yes, there's concern, and yes, people are on top of it and doing what they can. What do I, what do I need to do for myself and my family? And, and that's all we really need to know. We need to know we should be a little more vigilant about, you know, most of us are, but more vigilant about washing our hands. If we're in a crowd and people are coughing, we may want to, you know, move away from them. And we may want to just get enough information to know what is realistic and, and, and what is just all the what-if thinking. But when we start getting it sort of at us 24-7 and we realize that every, you know, news media, every news outlet is wanting us to listen or read them so there's going to be a little more dramatic, we have to be smart enough to say, is this really useful? Is my constantly listening, thinking, reading about this useful? Or am I doing what I need to do and now move on to the next thing? That's great advice. And you talk about, I think you actually label it in the book, and I think this is a, I, I like this label. You, in the book, it, you say we will learn to identify, modify, and redefine our relationship with worry and anxiety. And yeah, we all have a relationship with anxiety. You know, just like we have relationships with our friends, our family, our spouses, our you know, colleagues. And if, if we can understand, and this is, you know, again, why I wrote the book, because if we can understand what our individual relationship with is with anxiety, we can then get back in control. I mean, I can't tell you, and I'm sure you know this as, as a social worker, how many people just go through life and they say, oh, I'm just anxious all the time. And then you say, what are you anxious about? I, I don't know, just everything. And then you have them keep a diary, which is what I do. I have people keep a diary, just little notes. It could be on a scrap of paper. You know, throughout the day when they're anxious, what are your thoughts? What are you, you know, what are you thinking about? Where are you? Who are you with? What's going on? 
and you start to see these patterns. And then you ask yourself, you know, and what do I do in these situations? And you begin to see, do you avoid situations? Do you obsess about them? Do you change your behavior? You know, what do you do? And what is it that triggers it? You know, every day is 3 o'clock. You're really, really anxious. Well, is it because it's your kids are coming home from school and there's something there that you need to deal with? Is it that, you know, that's the time your boss comes in to hang out and talk with you and it makes you anxious? Or is it that you haven't maybe eaten enough uh, during the day and your blood sugar is dropping? So I, I always ask people to, to keep diaries and get an assessment of what is it that's making them anxious so they can learn there are certain things, yeah, you just have to accept. So in other words, it's not usually uh, this amorphous kind of anxiety, which people, when they describe it, seem to describe by saying right. they, it's you can pinpoint it. There's some very can, specific triggers, I guess, or, or stressors that make you anxious, and you can identify them, as you say in the book, and then you can do something about it. There are techniques to, to uh, uh, quell your anxiety. What are the eight points? Because you talk about uh, those are some of the reliable techniques that you can Right, use. and the eight points are a kind of what I think is sort of like the, the anxiety Bible. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, it's something that... Uh, again, it's something adapted from what I use with patients that had more chrono- more pathological anxiety. But basically, um, we call them the eight points of control anxiety, worry, and stress. And the whole idea is, um, and they're listed in you know in great detail in the book. But in summary, it's it's getting people to accept, allow that anxiety is a part of life. It's getting people when they feel anxious, rather than to just go, oh my god, I feel anxious. This is awful. To just stop, breathe. You know, many of us, when we get anxious, we either over-breathe or hold our breath, which makes us more anxious. So it's teaching people how to do some proper diaphragmatic breathing. Um, looking at what you can do rather than what you can't do. Um, taking the tea off the can't. You know, gee, I can't exercise. I have no time. Instead, well, you know, I can. It's just difficult to fit in my schedule. Um, what can I do to make that happen, even if it's 10 minutes a day? And then the eight points talk about labeling anxiety, like from one to ten, looking at the highest and the lowest, so that you begin to be aware of what makes the level go up and down. Is it your thoughts? Is it things that are happening externally? Is it things that you're doing? Um, and then you want to look at, um, you know, what is it that you're really anxious about and what can you do to lower it? And just do it. You know, you, you, how many times have we all sat there and said, oh, I just want to get out and walk around the block. I know I'll feel better. And you spend 20 minutes thinking, I want to do it, but you don't do it. So this is just getting people to just sort of allow yourself to say, yes, I feel anxious, I really don't feel like doing it, but I'm going to do it. Um, and also staying rooted in the here and now, because we're always the thing that really gets us with anxiety is this what if. And once you start what ifing the worst case scenario, like we talked earlier, you know, we wake up during the night, you know, what if I, what if this pimple on my back is something else? What if my kid's cough is something else? You want to challenge yourself and say, is this a productive thought? Is it a realistic thought? What can I, is there anything I can do about it or should do about it? And then do it, but let the thought go. And then the last of the eight points is, is allowing, uh, going back to the first thing, expecting, allowing, accepting that anxiety, stress, worry, they're all part of life. So they're going to be with you, and the key thing is learning how to accept what you, uh, what you can change, um, and then move forward and make the changes you need to in the things that you can do something about. That's great. I mean, that's such practical advice. It is it's very practical, and it's not it's, hard to follow. No, but we don't do it. But once we've read your book and listeners have read your book, then they will begin to do it. But uh, since I hope we only so. Have, yeah. <laughs> I hope so because it works. Every you know, all my you know, I've, I've given the book now aside from my patients, you know, my friends and colleagues and 
family and all have all read it, and they go, ah, how come you never told me that? <laughs> I said, I have been, but you have to sort of see it in writing. You have to kind of have it in front of you. That's true. You do, and especially with your family. You've probably been telling them that for years. But... Oh, yeah, and I have to use it on myself. They remind me of it. They say, wait, stop, breathe. You know, you're getting anxious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. take your own advice. Right. Um, but speaking of taking your own advice, one less thing to worry about, uncommon wisdom for coping with common anxieties, Geraldine Roth. Uh, go to your website as well. Is there a website that we can go to? More information, you can buy the book, bookstores everywhere, Amazon.com, but uh, people have heard the show. They want to somehow connect with you in a, in a different way. What do they do? Yeah, there are two websites. One is for my practice because we actually do, um, you know, my clinical practice is here in Washington, but we have people coming in from all over the country or I, we do phone consults and that's, um, that website is www dot Roth Center one word R O S C E N T E R dot com, and then the other are the organization that I head up um, is the Anxiety Disorders Association of America, and their website is www.adaa.org. That's www.adaa.org. They have tremendous amounts of information. Both of them will be real helpful to people. Terrific. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Gerilyn Ross, you've been terrific. One less thing to worry about, uncommon wisdom for coping with common anxieties. Have a stress-free day. Thank you so much. Same to you. All right. Thanks, Gerilyn. We're going to be back in a few minutes. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Miller-Blake on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Want to have behind-the-scenes access to some of the greatest minds of today? On Shift in Action, we feature leading-edge innovators who are building a more conscious, sustainable, and healthy culture. Host Stephen Dynan offers live shows with evolutionary leaders such as Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and others who are creating new paradigms for conscious living. You can keep your finger on the pulse of the latest frontier work with our weekly transmission of inspired wisdom on Shift in Action, broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back on Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, VoiceAmericaVariety.com with Lauren Beller Blake. We had been talking to Geraldine Ross, who was, uh, I'll say the book one more time because it is a really it's a really good book, very helpful. All of us, I have to assume that most of us are anxious. One less thing to worry about, Uncommon Wisdom for Coping with Common Anxieties, Geraldine Ross. And uh, Lauren and I have been actually her patients on the show for the first, at least the beginning of the show, right? Uh, but we're talking about anxiety, you know, and I said to you, Lauren, in the break, in the break my mother always said the best, and actually Geraldine said this too, you need to get a good night. Sleep is one of the most important things to help you cope with whatever you have to cope with. If you try to cope with any of the stuff that bo- that's bothering you and you haven't had enough sleep, forget about it. I mean, sleep deprivation is what they use to get information out of prisoners of war. So uh, the opposite of that is like, you know, if you get a really sleep well, you're going to be able to cope with all this stuff. Exactly. I think everything's easier with a good night's sleep. and Everything's harder without a good night's sleep. Yeah, I mean, uh, when my kids were younger and I wasn't able to sleep, three boys, I was up 24 hours a day, literally, for seven years. I mean, I'd be crying. I could, yeah. I would, you know, I'd start crying because I, I, one more thing I can't handle. I'd be <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. I'd be crying, please go to sleep. I'd be, and I had help. I mean, I wasn't even doing it alone, but what's the difference? Three kids, right? And it was like, I just, you know, begging them to go to sleep so that I could go to sleep. Um so, all right, we've covered sleep, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> it's a big deal. I, I had somebody talk about, you know, we mentioned the, the swine flu thing and worrying about that and I, and the media telling us, making pandemic, not even really defining what a pandemic is so that you're terrified of pandemic, and pandemic only means that it's something that is that you will find in different um demographics. It's in our country and other countries. It doesn't mean that the illness itself is severe or more severe than, let's, in this case, flu. Uh, you know, the flu we had is the same. It, it could be a mild case of whatever the virus is. But pandemic, that makes it sound like it's a, a holocaust. It's true. <laughs> I, I mean, really, I think that particular thing is totally blown out of proportion. And it, I think the media really did us a disservice, quite yeah, frankly. They did, because now when we have to react to something in a more serious manner. It's kind of the boy who called wolf can happen, that kind of thing, that we're not going to... I don't know if that's the case or not, but I interviewed on my other show, Lauren, uh, an attorney, uh, American Health Lawyers. She's the uh, CEO of that organization or the director or whatever. And she explained it pretty well. I just want to, because I think it's important, I want to help quell people's anxieties. It's National Mental Health Month, by the way. Uh, One of the things that she said is, in describing the pandemic, she said... a pandemic is, is different than, let's say, if you have a, like Hurricane Katrina, you have one, you have a hurricane, you have a disaster, or a bridge in Minneapolis collapses, that's, that's a discrete event, or, um, you know, a tsunami. It's a discrete event, and then, you must res- then we all must respond to it. A pandemic is different because it happens over time. So the response has to be somewhat different because it could be happening or unfolding over over weeks or months, and that makes it very different in terms of how the medical 
community responds, the schools, the legal community. Uh, it all has to people, you know, stay out of work for two weeks, they come back. There are a lot of legal issues related to that. So it, that's why the response is different, and we have to learn how to do that in, a, in an appropriate way that, that's functional, not dysfunctional. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. I, yeah. I mean, there's people that their kids have been home for weeks I've been speaking to. And they don't even know if they're going to send them back to if school will open again. I mean, that's here in Texas. Yeah, and what does that do? Mothers it, have to, or fathers have to stay home. They they might they they could lose jobs. Who knows what could you know what I mean? It's really blown out of proportion. And then the kids stay home and they get in trouble because they have nothing to do and they have no supervision and it creates a whole other set of problems. So you have to really be clear about how we respond to this kind of stuff. It's. It's ridiculous to me, this whole particular, this one. I mean, especially when we look at 35,000 people die a year of the regular flu. 35,000 die of the regular flu, exactly. A year. So we've had two people in this country die. And both people, one was from Mexico and one um, had underlying health issues when she got sick. Yeah, which is, you know, what happens, unfortunately. Yeah, so... I think there's so many other bigger issues, health issues, to be talking about in our country that um, we're just ignoring, and I don't Let's know why that is. What do you think is what is what bothers you the most about what about health issues? What would you say for you know is another? Well, I one think we have our eating in this country is out of control. I just think that we don't understand how to eat and the effects of not eating well, and I think that is that could be talked about every day, and there's not enough of that. You know what I mean? Of how to eat healthy. There's a new book called Stuff. Did I mention that? I don't think so. Stuff. And I can't remember the name of the author, but I had interviewed him a, a few weeks ago. Stuffed, and he writes about that, where our stuffing came from uh, when we began to stuff ourselves, which was in the 50s, uh, when, we, when we substituted convenience for taste in food, fast foods, uh, TV dinners, uh, all of that. And that got us into the mode of just like eating uncontrollably because we are... Taste has nothing to do with eating, but convenience. It's probably about the same time in our country that storage units started to become big, too. What are storage units? Yeah, storage units, we have way too much stuff. Oh, stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like at the same time we started to eat in a crazy way, we also started to accumulate so much stuff, and we don't even have room in our houses for it, so we now pay for a box someplace for more stuff. Now, we pay people to come in and help us organize our stuff. Yes, we do. Or pay them to come in, organize the stuff, and tell us what to get rid of. It's crazy. It's just, to me, there's so, many other, there's so many other issues in our world to be talking about. And not that we don't inform people about the you know, swine flu and let people know, oh, there's a new strain, and it's probably nothing. Wash your hands more. And it's very, I mean, even a three-year-old, my three-year-old comes home from school. She says, Mommy, we can't kiss in school because it's dangerous. And um, you get germs, and we only kiss at home, which is probably a good thing. But well, true. Hey, good. you won't have to have the talk with her when she turns 12. It's Just true. Just remember, honey, we only kiss at home. Yeah, it was great. But, you know, they're learning to wash their hands. They're washing their hands more often. And, you know, basic hygiene and cleanliness. Yeah, I was at a, a – I gave a, lec- a speech, actually, a keynote speech at SUNY Albany, which is the state university at Albany here in New York, and we had a, there was a luncheon afterwards, and I noticed sometimes, you know, when people can't finish their food or their dessert and stuff, they'll offer somebody else, and somebody will take a bite. Nobody, somebody did that sitting beside me, and the other person said, no, I, I, no, thank you. 
and I had, and I and that's good. And yeah. I had a dessert because I I don't eat dessert at lunchtime. Talking about stuffed, or I'll will be stuffed and overweight. So I had, it was a lovely lemon tart, and there was a, a young a younger forty year old guy sitting beside, younger than that actually, and so he had one dessert and he wanted another one, and I offered him my dessert, and I just I assured him I said I haven't touched it. It's just, you know I didn't taste it or. And so he took it and he ate it because somebody else had ordered him, had offered him the dessert, and she had taken a little piece out of it, and he said, no, thank you. I don't blame him. I would do the same thing these days. Do you know the new handshake? Uh, Not to, right? What? No, I don't know the new handshake. Lauren, instead of holding, you know, handshake, shaking everybody's hand at a lot of the, and you, you know, you're the keynote speaker, you go to a lot of big events and stuff, and really you are touching everybody's hands, which can be, make you more susceptible to getting... Sure, yeah. So what's the new handshake? You take your elbow and you knock elbows. Like you just, like you give this little up... Well, that's just as bad because let me explain to you why. In the Montessori school... uh, Can I say this? Do we have enough time? They're teaching the kids not to cough and sneeze in their hands but to cough in their elbows, in the the crooks of their arm. Is that... But that's the case. Well, the reason they're doing that is because the kids are all touching all the stuff and they don't want the germs to go from the hand, which they just covered up their mouth to cough, to get onto their stuff so that they're not, you know, spreading the germs. Oh, my God, so we have an elbow-to-elbow problem. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk about that next week. Anyway, get get a good night's sleep. and uh, Lauren Beller-Blake, Catherine Sox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.